Now it's time for the Disney View podcast. Please move across your car to make room for everyone. Our podcast will begin momentarily. Join Dave as he makes his grand circle tour around the Walt Disney World Resort. Dave is a dreamer and an engineer who enjoys the magic and wonder of it all, but understands Disney's place in history and respects the legacy that's been left. Come along and hear Dave's thoughts about Walt Disney World and see it through Dave's eyes. Please stand clear of the podcaster. Por favor, manténganse alejado del David. And now, here's your host. Hey everyone, it's Dave. Welcome to another edition of Dave's Disney View Podcast. On today's podcast, I wanted to kind of reflect on one of my great moments when I went to Disney World, and that was when I did the Great Disney Scavenger Hunt. That was like, I don't know, five years ago now, and it was phenomenal. It was one of the greatest events. It was put on by Disney, so the D23 organization that's, I guess, an arm of Disney. It's some uh, relationship thing where they talk about uh, historical nature of Disney. They actually put on this event, and it was the Great Disney Scavenger Hunt. And I did a multi-part podcast about it, so you can go back into the archives and listen to all the details of what it was like. But it's stuck with me ever since then. And I've always remembered it and kind of looked fondly about back at, a, at the event and tried to think about what it was that made it so interesting and exciting. And I think it was the fact that we were going around and we were trying to solve problems, right? You know, puzzles and try to look at trivia and look for some things that are interesting and try to uh, gather some information to be able to report on it. And it really took you to the immersiveness, to the level of detail that the parks have. They were asking you questions about things that really required you to pay attention, to really look up, to look around, to look at something, to interact with something that maybe otherwise you might have skipped completely. You know, you might have just walked right past it, a sign on a wall or at the, uh, the year that a certain building was, was uh, opened or the, uh, the flags that were flying or, uh, for example, in the Buzz Lightyear ride, what's the, what's the thing that you circle around when you're first going in to start the ride? It's a disco ball. But do you ever think about that? Do you ever stop and think about it? So you're really getting the nature of, like, what the whole... Uh, park is about, what, what all the whole, all of Disney World is about, and you're really capturing it. So this was a scavenger hunt that spanned all four parks over the course of two days. And it was a really interesting event, and I remember when I was setting up for it, uh, I heard about it and I thought, wow, this is phenomenal, I want to do this. And I registered like maybe five minutes after it opened. I mean, I was really er- early in the entry. And I contacted a bunch of my friends and asked them if they wanted to do it. Some said yes, some had to bail, some had other commitments that they had to do. It was in April, it was on a you know, Tuesday and a Wednesday or something. So it was, you, know, you had to plan to travel there and, and be there for the event. And it was hard to get everyone together and make my team. You could have a team of up to four, I think it was, or maybe, it was, maybe you could have a bigger team. But anyway, it was around four or five you had to have on your team. And, you know, we wound up having two. It was just me and Kurt. By the time it started, we were the last two standing for the, uh, for the event that were uh, interested in signing up for it and being a part of it. Um, I had talked to some other people and, you know, it looked like maybe we could form another team or merge with another team along the way. But this worked out fine, the two of us just doing it. And it was a great event. We had so much fun just being involved in it. You know, it's, it really taxes your brain 
it's warm out, you're moving a lot, you've only got so much time to complete these things, and it really does wear you down pretty quickly. And because you're doing essentially two parks each day, you're really, you know, you're spending four hours in each park really looking at details, or five hours, whatever it was, uh, looking at details to try and understand what things are and answer these questions. So each of the parks had like, uh, I want to say it was around 100 questions that you would answer. Now, maybe 60 of them, 70 of them or so were just general trivia. You'd walk around and you'd see something. There was 10 or 12 that required you to do a little uh, connecting the dots kind of things. You would look at one thing and that would lead you to something else. And then the last group of them, the 10 or so that were left, were really more complicated and really required you to think and work and try to figure things out. And you had to kind of really uh, logically think through some things. It was, you know, it was kind of clever the way they set these things up because they were really complex in some cases where you really had to work against the whole idea of figuring out where to go and what to do. I mean, you, you knew where to go generally, but you had to figure out what was it I was looking for specifically and what is it that this is going to give me the answer to this? And then how do I use that answer to solve the next part of the problem? And it was just fun. You know, it was just so, such a good time. And... I made new friends, I interacted with a lot of people. We were all there on this path, this journey to try and get the, uh, this puzzle done, you know, this giant puzzle. And so we wound up talking to people. And while we didn't really share answers, we shared general concepts and themes to kind of help direct people and they helped direct us a little bit. And we built this sense of community, right? We were out there for hours and just, you know, talking to people and having some fun and everybody was having fun. We wound up having lunch with this nice lady, um, just sort of randomly, and it was kind of neat because she was she was very pleasant and she was uh, yeah, it was kind of a fun time. And we wound up chatting about Disney and whatever. We met some other people along the way that we wound up um, just interacting with. And then at the end, when we got our score and we figured out, you know, we were in the middle of the pack, which was just fine. That meant we did really well. We met a lot more people. And we talked to a lot more people about how their experience was. And everyone, I think, had a good time. There were probably some exceptions. But for the most part, everyone had a good time and enjoyed themselves. And it was just a fun time. Now I love puzzles and games and things like this. And these outdoor mass events, they're always kind of fun. They're just, you know, it's a good time to kind of try it, learn something, you know, do something creative and, you know, really tax your brain a little bit, you know, and be out there enjoying the fresh air too. So it was, uh, it was neat. And I got to say, one of, the, one of the cool things this just kind of worked out this way was that this was the first time in my life I went to all four parks in the same day. It just happened to work out that we went to, uh, let's see, we, I think we did, um, did we do the Magic Kingdom first? And then I think we did uh, the studio second on the first day, I think. So we did, you know, we did those two parks and then we had dinner at Epcot and then we went over to, oh, I know it was, it was the Magic Kingdom and Animal Kingdom we did on the first day. And then we did the studios in Epcot on the second day. But because we did the Magic Kingdom and um, the studios, we, went, we had dinner at Epcot. I'm sorry, let me try that again. <laughs> we did the Magic Kingdom and the Animal Kingdom. We actually um, wound up going over to the studios for a little bit and then had dinner in Epcot. So we wound up going to all four parks just because that's the way things worked out. And it was kind of fun. It was the first time I'd ever been to all four parks in a single day. And I've done it many times since then. But that was the first time. So it has a special sort of memory for me in that sense too. But really, this was about the event. This was about that, that tangible thing where you were trying to solve puzzles. And for a while, for the longest time since then, for the five years since, I've had it in the back of my mind that I want to do, I want to 
host something like that. I want to create something like that. And I didn't know how to do that. I wasn't sure what to do. But as you know, probably, um, I do some iOS development. So for the Apple devices, I do some development. And I have a Press Penny app that I like, but with the way the Press Pennies have changed and the fact that they're all now machines that have multiple coins in them and you put a credit card in to get your coins back, they're already there, it, it loses something. It doesn't have that tangible nature to it. And it's all just, you know, now it used to be you had to find, if you wanted all seven dwarves, you had to go figure out where they all were and go get them. If you wanted to find um, all the things related to, say, Frozen, you had to figure out where they were and go to each one in different parks and find them. Now you go to one machine and it's got, you know, 12 different Frozen designs and you put your credit card in and you get them all. And it's just not the same. It's like buying a souvenir. There was a challenge in it before, and that's why I created the app, because it made it easier to locate them and keep track of which ones you had. Because sometimes they would change them out to something else, or they would change the design or make something different. And I tried to make sure that you had that. But over time, the whole process of collecting pe press pennies has changed. So as I was thinking about what would I make my next app, it occurred to me sometime during the pandemic that maybe I should make the next app about something about the trivia challenge and making fun, making it fun to go off and look for uh, some of these trivia, trivia type things. So I created an app and I'm calling it WDW Spoonful of Trifles. Spoonful of sugar sort of joke there and the trifles on, you know, little irrelevant things that you're looking for. So it's sort of trivia. And uh, what I've done is I've created, um, there's three components to it right now. One is sort of fun facts where it's just information that I couldn't really come up with a question to go around, so it's just a little factoid that I've got that I just wanted to display in some way. I've got some hidden Mickeys in there, but the thing about them is what I'm trying to do is help you to find them, to actually locate them, so you have a little fun in locating them. And um, it's kind of, you know, kind of clever that way. It gives you a little more detail than some of the other uh, places that do hidden Mickeys. And the third one is really the, the hook. It's the, uh, it's the trivia challenge, where... Um, I've got a number of trivia questions built into this app right now. Right now, I, at the time I'm recording this, it's 115 or so different trivia bits of information. By the time the app goes live and you hear this podcast, probably it will be a lot more. You know, I want to keep building on it over time, just keep building and putting more in there. But the idea is that you've got all these different um, pieces of trivia. And what I'm doing is, based on your location, I present to you some sort of trivia and I ask it as a question look at this, tell me what this says, how do you find that, where is this? And so it's in that trivia sort of sense where you go looking for things. And then what I do is I present it as a question, so maybe it's a true-false, maybe it's a short answer, maybe it's a select from a list. And you find the, you select the answer you, you think is right, and then you submit it, and it tells you whether you're right or wrong. And it gives you a score, and it keeps a running score for you. Now long-term, my vision is to make it more like a game where you have leaderboards, right? People do it consistently and they, you know, they have a streak or they have the number they get right or whatever it is, just to kind of make it fun and interactive. My goal is just to have some fun, right? I like these things. I like to do them. Um, one thing about the whole trivia challenge that they did at Disney when they did the Great Scavenger Hunt was they had a book and that when you were done, they took the book, right? So you didn't have it anymore. Now, some of us were smart enough to actually take pictures of the book. And for the next couple of weeks after the event, we actually were going back and on the Diz boards, we actually, uh, a group of us went together, got together and figured out all the answers. We went through every question and we figured out every answer, what the correct answer would be. 
And it was really fun. That was another couple of weeks of, you know, my spare time just trying to solve these puzzles, right? The, one, the ones I didn't get before I was figuring out. And some of them I figured out, oh, I got that wrong because of whatever. And it was really neat to try to figure it out and answer those questions and get them right. So, you know, that kind of fits in, right? As I think about this, that was, that was really fun because we were offline and we were doing it. But what if, we, what if I gave you the same thing, but you were in the park and you were looking at an app instead of looking at a book? How would that work? So that was sort of the genesis for the idea, the nucleus of it. So that's what I've got out there. And um, I'd like to you know, invite you to try and download it. Give it a try. See what you think. And give me feedback about it. If you're an Apple user, even if you're not in the parks, you're welcome to use it. You just need to select everywhere because I'm outside the parks. And it'll give you all the, it'll start prompting you with questions and doing things. And over time, I'll add more and I'll you know, keep adding to it. And I have some other features I'd like to add later. But you know, that's down the road somewhere. I'm just trying to get it built right now. Right, just try to get it uh, going. So I invite you to take a look at it and give me feedback. There's an uh, email link within the app and you can just send me an email. Let me know what you think about it. Maybe you like it, maybe you don't. But I'd like to know. And if you have suggestions or improvements or other things that you see, I'm happy to take those. Now, if you're not an iOS user, and why wouldn't you be? Um, I'm still thinking about what I want to do there. I might create, create an app for the other platforms or I might just create a web-based view that would work if you don't have it. So the app is completely free. Uh, I'm not gonna charge for it. I'm gonna just put a little ad at the bottom so I can make a buck maybe, if you know, little coins here and there. And so, you know, you can give it a try and see what you think and, you know, see, see if it works for you. I mean, I'm just trying to do something fun and interactive. The, the greatest part about this was the way we interacted with everyone. And I'd like to continue that, keep that up and continue interacting and let people interact with each other. That's, you know, in the feature somewhere down the road, I want to have more discussion points, right? Some things that we could talk about just to make it more interactive. You know, I know that it's unlikely there'll be many people using it at the same time in the same park. So it's unlikely you would run into somebody, but you know, you never know. You might run into somebody doing it or you might just mention to somebody, hey, that was really cool. Did you see something, right? Because you saw a sign or something that I point out to you in the app. I don't know. So that was, my, uh, that was my thought on it. So I hope you'll take, a, take time to download it if you're an Apple user and just take a look at it and see what you think and give me feedback. Now, as a second part of my podcast today, I wanted to pay tribute to my in-laws. My uh, father-in-law passed away a few years ago and he was an entertainment attorney and uh, he had some encounters with people. He had met many people in the industry uh, in different places and I know that he had some connection to a few people on the fringes of Disney, I think, with some uh, people that were not, you know, directly in the Disney lineup there, you know, where you know the name necessarily. But it was people that were sort of in the community. And um, so he had a little connection there. My mother-in-law, she actually worked for uh, a recording industry back in the, uh, I guess, 50s and early 60s. And so she was. She had met some interesting people as, along the way too. Some of them were Disney artists and so forth. So she has some stories to tell. It was always interesting to hear her stories. Some of them again were connected, but not directly. But more interesting was her father. Her father was somebody who works. Who was an executive with um, RKO Pictures, and he had a personal relationship with Walt Disney. How close their relationship was, I couldn't tell you. But a few years ago, she handed my wife a picture of Walt and her father. And I just thought that was really, really cool. It's one of those things, it's a memento that has that weird connection to Disney. You know, again, I don't know how close they were, if they were great friends or they just had, you know, knew each other in passing, but it is kind of neat that they did have some relationship. 
And uh, it's just kind of interesting to think about, you know, these connections that we all have in some way to different people that we know in life. And I just thought that was, it's really neat. I look at that picture once in a while and I just kind of smile at it a little bit. Um, so that, uh, I just wanted to kind of give them a little tribute for their connections to Disney. I, you know, uh, I miss them and uh, I really, you know, they're really nice people. And I, I just found it really interesting that they had these, uh, these, had these interesting connections. So that's all I wanted to say about that. One little spark of inspiration is at the heart <laughs> of all creation. Right at the start of everything that's new. One little spark lights up for you. For my One Little Spark segment today, I wanted to talk about John Lewis. John Lewis is a really interesting person. John Lewis grew up in the civil rights era. John Lewis was very engaged in social justice and doing the right things and trying to make the world a better place. The Central Connecticut State University has a John Lewis Institute for Social Justice and they talk about John Lewis extensively. I thought it was worth going through who John Lewis was, he passed away a couple of years ago, and talking about uh, what he stands for. John Lewis led a life of service in pursuit of justice. He was a descendant of African slaves. Born into a sharecropper family in Alabama in 1940, he realized from a young age that violence and inequity permeated society. He wrote shortly before his death that, quote, Emmett Till was my George Floyd. He was my Rayshard Brooks, Sandra Bland, and Breonna Taylor. He was 14 when he was killed, and I was only 15 years old at the time. I will never, ever forget the moment when it became so clear that he could easily have been me. Not content to simply be aware of injustice, he searched for ways to make others aware of it and to work to overcome it. He was one of the original freedom riders who rode buses to highlight the segregated travel laws in the South. He helped to found and became a leader of the Student Nonviolent Coordinating Committee. One of the organizers of the March on Washington in 1963, he was its last surviving speaker. He organized March and spoke up against racial and economic injustice at every turn and was beaten and bloodied often for his efforts by white mobs and police officers alike. He will forever be etched in the civil rights movement for all of these efforts, but especially for his role in the Voting Rights March of March 7, 1965, across the Edmund Pettus Bridge in Selma, Alabama. In what became known as Bloody Sunday, a police officer cracked his skull, then hit him again as he tried to rise. President Lyndon Johnson introduced the Voting Rights Act a little more than a week later, and it became law that summer. Voting rights remained one of Lewis's social justice passions for decades afterwards. He took office as a U.S. representative from Georgia in 1986, serving until his death in 2020. He championed a host of social justice initiatives, especially concerning voting rights, and continued to work to inspire young people to carry on the mission of making the world a better place. In 2018, he wrote, Do not get lost in the sea of despair. Be hopeful. Be optimistic. Our struggle is not the struggle of a day, a week, a month, or a year. It's the struggle of a lifetime. Never, ever be afraid to make some noise and get in good trouble, necessary trouble. All he wanted was what, other, what he saw other people had, the right to vote, the right to stand up and be counted, the right to freedom and citizenship. And yet here we are in 2022 and we still see this happening. In Florida, for some reason, the governor was asked to create the new map of where the, where the voting districts are. Why one person who's acting in the official capacity is asked to do that is beyond me. This is supposed to be a nonpartisan effort by a committee that's then reviewed by several other groups 
and they make a decision and sometimes it's gerrymandered and you know adjusted a little bit but in general the idea is to make voting fair free and fair and it turns out that this this particular voting map that he created basically marginalized black people around the state especially in the northern part of the state and he was called out for it by a judge because it's insane that he just wanted to marginalize blacks so here we are in 2022 and exactly what John Lewis was fighting for, for a lifetime, is still being fought for. Why? Why, why are you so afraid of people voting? I, I don't understand. So anyway, we remember John Lewis for all he stood for. And if you haven't seen it, the movie Selma is really, really good. And there are other movies about John Lewis's life that are also interesting. But that one is, that one is particularly, I don't know, heartfelt. There's, it's hard to watch, but it's, it's completely and totally amazing. Anyway, that is my podcast for this week. I hope you've enjoyed it. And remember, if we can dream it, we can certainly do it. Bye now. Thank you for tuning in to the Disney View podcast. We hope you had a pleasant stay and arrive home safely. Please remain seated until your ride vehicle stops completely. Then, gather your personal belongings and step out onto the moving platform. And yes, I know it went by so quickly, but don't worry. One of the nice things about traveling on this podcast is that the journey is just beginning. Show notes are available on DisneyWorldPodcast.net. While there, please check out some of our affiliates. You'll also find links to Dave's iPhone and iPad apps. There's an app for pin trading, one for finding hidden Mickeys, and an app for finding and tracking pressed pennies around the Walt Disney World Resort. And you never know just what Dave is working on next. If you have questions, feel free to drop Dave an email at davesdisneyview at gmail.com. Original music you're hearing in this podcast is Oslo Doom by Gilberto Gil. Of course, this is a fan podcast and in no way affiliated with the Walt Disney Company. 